for you this morning and stand upon your word according to Psalm 40 and verse 7 where you said, Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me. We stand upon that word as we open the book of life. We thank you, Father, as we begin to feed and feast upon your word. That you manifest your presence to us, through us, for us, in us. And Father, I thank you that as we begin to feed upon your word, that the spirit of wisdom and revelation is being made manifest. We just give you the praise and the honor and the glory for all that is said and done in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to go with me, please, once again <clears throat> to the book of uh, John, chapter 8. John's Gospel, chapter 8. We will also eventually wind up in Matthew 16, except we're going to go a little bit different route this morning than what we have. Thank you, Lord. We go ahead and look up John 8 to begin with. Thank you, Lord. Very familiar passage once again. Jesus is ministering. And as he's preaching, he begins to realize that faith is beginning to rise in some of the listeners. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word. And so he responds to those believers. Verse 30 of John 8 says, And as he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. I've had you take note of that word continue. I want to remind you of it again. It is the Greek word meno, M-E-N-O. It is the same word that's translated, for example, in John 15, 7. Where Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. You could have very easily translated this, if you, if you continue or if you abide in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. You'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. As we've already talked about, in order to enter into the kingdom of God, you must become a believer in the Lord Jesus. Believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you shall be saved. Isn't that right? Yet on the other hand, there is a vast difference between being a believer and being a disciple. Now everybody that is born again is a believer, but not every believer is a disciple. Because in order to be a disciple... It requires commitment. That's exactly what Cindy was talking about earlier in, in sharing all of our escapades. <laughs> 
there is a vast difference between the two because in order to be a disciple, you have to be what? Committed. You have to make a commitment. The foundation of discipleship is commitment. And the foundation of commitment is decision. We do not live by our feelings. We live by our what? Decisions. That's right. So we've been talking about discipleship, and I've shared some things with you that discipleship is not. What we're going to talk about this morning is some, some wrong ideas about discipleship, but the way the Lord has, has instructed me to title this message, what we're talk, going to talk about this morning is hindrances to discipleship. As I shared with you already, one of the things that discipleship is not is regimentation. Discipleship is not, well, I get up at 5 o'clock every morning and I read my scriptures till 6 and then I pray till 7 and then I go do this till 8 o'clock and then I got women's meeting at 9 to 9.30 or whatever the case may be. That's not discipline. That is not being a disciple. That's regimentation. Not that there's necessarily anything wrong with that, but that does not qualify as discipleship. Discipleship is what? Discipleship is listening to God and doing what God says do when He says do it. That's pretty simple. Let me say it again. Discipleship is listening to God and doing what God says do when God says do it. And when you become a disciple and you begin to listen to God and you begin to listen for the objective of obeying whatever God tells you to do, as God begins to orchestrate your life, as He begins to tell you to do certain things, many times when if somebody is watching your life from the outside, it won't look like discipleship at all. It won't look like discipline at all. I remember when I was in Bible school, uh, we had a class called Practical Ministries that was supposed to prepare you for the ministry. Hey baby, ain't no class can prepare you for the ministry. We had two little textbooks about a quarter inch thick. And they were good textbooks, don't misunderstand me. They really had some good information. But you could write textbook the size of an Encyclopedia Britannica and it wouldn't prepare you for the ministry. Anyhow, he, he was teaching this class and he said, uh, he, he, th this actually applies, he, but he said, he said, you know, he said, people, when you go in the ministry, they don't understand how you live because you don't live ordinarily like what we would call secular people, people outside the ministry. And he gave this illustration. I've never forgotten this. He said, he said for example, he said, you take some church member drive by the pastor's house. And uh, maybe it's 9, 9.30 in the morning and the drapes are still pulled and the lights are still off. And it seems very apparent that everybody's still in bed asleep. And he drives by the pastor's house and says, Well, dear God, I pay that pastor good money and here he is laying up in the bed 9.30 in the morning. <laughs> Lazy thing. And he said, you know... It may look that way, but he said what that man or, or woman, whoever may not realize is maybe God got that man or woman up at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning and they prayed for about two hours for the guy that was driving by in the car. 
And finally, God let him go back to bed. And let me just tell you something. When you start walking with God, time means nothing to God. God may get you up at three in the morning to pray. God may have you do certain things at certain times that just seem absolutely unreasonable. But you're flowing with the Spirit. The discipleship is not nearly as regimented as what people think. There is a, there's a flow to it. There is a fluidness to walking with God. And the same thing is true, really, even if you are not in what you know, people call full-time ministry. When it comes to listening to God and doing what God says, when God says do it, God will work through your lifestyle. Do you know that? God will work through your schedule. I mean, for example, we back in 1986, the first part of 1986, Cindy and I started a church from scratch. This was in San Angelo. We started a church from scratch. We bought a carpet cleaning business and we moved all within 90 days. 60 days, yeah. Needless to say, we were in transition. <laughs> I mean, everything was in, a, in upheaval. And our life was changing very, very dramatically. So we found ourselves pastoring a church and running a business all at the same time. And let me just say, if you've ever seen those commercials where it says, Be your own boss. Own your own business. That is a lie. That is a lie straight out of hell. Because when you own your own business, you work for everybody else. Another lie is, own your own business for fun and profit. It wasn't fun and it wasn't very profitable. <laughs> but, God told us to do it. But here's what I noticed. God knew, God realized I had a schedule to keep. My first jobs were at 8 o'clock every morning. I had to be at somebody's house unloading and cleaning carpet, carpet at 8 o'clock every morning. God knew that. And not one single time did God ever say, Don't you dare go to that job. You go to the church and pray right now. No, God knew I had a schedule to keep. But as I went through my day fulfilling my schedule, I was listening to God. God would talk to me. I would talk to God. And it, it, never, it never conflicted with one another. Now, I will tell you this, that when it came to my study time, I would come in from work. I would get cleaned up. I would eat supper. I'd chill out and rest for a little bit. And my study time usually would start about 9 or 10 o'clock at night. And I would go till, you know, 2, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. But you know, it's kind of interesting. God gave me the grace to do that. Because I would get, I'd get with God for several hours a night. And then get up the next day and go to work. And I, I, I was usually probably 98% of the time would get up refreshed and ready to go. But God gave me the grace. My point is, even if you are dealing with a very... Um, Steady schedule. You're dealing with a job or you're dealing with a business or whatever the case may be. God will still work with and God will still 
uh, work around your responsibilities. So discipleship, again, is, is a lot more uh, fluid than what we realize. It's not strict regimentation of our lives. It's what? Listening to God and doing what God says when God says do it. Okay. Number one, discipleship is not regimentation. Number two, discipleship is not activity. It's not just a whole bunch of activity. It's not just a bunch of doing and doing and doing and doing and doing. There used to be there used to be a commercial come on television. I don't know if it still does or not. I haven't seen it in a while. But it was a, a, a commercial about Angie's List. Y'all ever seen some of those commercials? And there would be this woman come on there and she'd say, I'm just so busy, 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 busy. I just Every time I saw that, I wanted to reach through the TV and just slap her. I'm just so busy, 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 busy. Life is not about being busy. Life is about being productive and being effective. That's two very different things. And the same thing is true with discipleship. Discipleship is not about being busy, 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 busy. <laughs> discipleship is about being productive. Discipleship is about being effective. And in fact, there are a lot of people, I think one of the reasons I wanted to slap that woman is because it reminded me of a lot of people I didn't like. And the reason I didn't like them is because there are people that are just so busy, 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 busy. And they're proud of that. They're proud of being, being busy because it makes them feel needed and wanted and I'm important because... I'm so busy. Well, it has nothing to do with being busy. The big question is, are you being productive? Are you being effective? So discipleship is not about activity. It's not doing a bunch of stuff. I remember, <clears throat> well, Cindy obviously could tell you more about this than I could, but I remember Cindy talking about growing up, uh, the, particularly the church she went to in Houston. She, taught, she, she said, man, they had stuff going all the time. And she'd give me the rundown. They'd have this on Monday night and this on Tuesday night and this on Wednesday night and this on Thursday and this, this on Friday and then Saturday and then Sunday and then this and that. And then you had choir practice and WMU and XYPZ and all these other things you had to go do. And, and, I, you know, and she'd talk about the schedule of that church. And if you went to everything that church did, you'd be absolutely run ragged. All kinds of activity. And, and Cindy, Cindy was a teenager at the time, and she was in the big middle of all of it. But that didn't necessarily make her more a, of a disciple. See? So, that's not, that's, not, that's not discipleship. A bunch of activity is not discipleship. Thank God for activity. I think we need activity. I think we need stuff to do. I think, I think it helps us grow, and particularly when we come together and we fellowship and, and get something done, it's very gratifying. But at the same time, it's not about activity. Discipleship is not about activity. In fact, I want to I show this to you. The Lord brought this to my attention, and you're all familiar with it. Go with me to Luke chapter 10. I want to show this to you. <clears throat> Luke chapter 10. 
Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, <clears throat> verse 38. says, Now it came to pass as they, that as, he, as they went, that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. Now, before we go any further with this, forget that you know the story. Okay? Just forget you know the story. Because let me lay out kind of what was going on here. When Jesus went to this woman's house, it was not just Him and the twelve disciples. Okay? Because this was at the tail end of what Bible scholars refer to as the Jordan Valley campaign. And there were as many... You remember, He only laid hands on twelve. He laid hands on seventy-two people and sent them out by two. You remember that? So... Not only were there Jesus, was there Jesus and the twelve, but these seventy-two were also there. You got nearly a hundred people show up for, for supper. And you can't go down to Trace Amigos and buy pizza and fix it. <laughs> She's got to cook for nearly a hundred people. And you got to understand this. At this time, Jesus was, was, was the most famous man in that whole area. <laughs> so you know, other people showed up. Mama and them had to come see Jesus, you know. Everybody had to show up, get his autograph, take a selfie and with Jesus and all that. They all had to come. People hadn't changed a bit. So there could have very easily been 200 people or more show up at Martha's house. But now you've got to understand this. Not only were there a lot of people there, but when you study the Scriptures, you find out Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus, they were a very, very rich family. Extremely wealthy. And there is no question that they had, that they probably had the servants and the staff to handle that kind of situation. Jesus is that way. Jesus is not intrusive. Did you know that? If she didn't have the capacity or her household didn't have the capacity to handle that, he wouldn't have just shown up like that. He's not that way. But at the same time, you still got a whole staff full of people having to cook for probably 200 plus people. I mean, brother, it looked like Downton Abbey kitchen at Christmas time. You had some... They're going all over the place. Okay, you get the picture? And Jesus starts Bible study. <laughs> okay. Verse 39. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard His word. But Martha was cumbered about with much serving. And let me tell you something. If you're cumbered about with much serving... 
you need to back off and reassess. If, if the things you feel like the Lord has told you to do is a burden, you need to back off. You need to reconsider whether or not you really heard from God. Because discipleship is not burdensome. It's not cumbersome. Jesus said it this way, Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. He said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, there's discipleship, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find, what? Rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Things that God tells you to do, certainly there'll be, be effort in it, there'll be work in it, there'll be a certain degree of activity, certain things that the Lord has told you to do, but at the same time, there will be a grace, there will be an undergirding, there will be an uplifting of the Spirit, and you will know that God is carrying you. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 15.10. He said, it's by the grace of God I am what I am. But he said, it's not me that labors, but the grace of God that labors in me. Amen. Are y'all hot or is it just me? Let's cool it down a little. Go play with it, Carl. Somebody. I don't care. All right. <clears throat> Verse 40, But Martha was cumbered about much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, <laughs> dost thou not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Well, she wasn't alone, but she felt that way. That my sister has left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she come and help me. Now, let me tell you something. She's not just ticked off at Mary. She's a, a tad teed off at Jesus. Why? <laughs> he ought to know. I'm in here. Just, I'm just working for Jesus. He ought to know how hard I'm working. He ought to know how hard I'm laboring. And don't you care? We're going to get to that. Don't you care? Jesus, don't you care? Jesus, can't you see all the stuff I'm doing? <laughs> Verse 40, But Martha was cumbered about with much, about much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me, and Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, <laughs> you are careful and troubled about many things. This wasn't about serving food. Jesus could have very easily phrased it this way. You've got issues. And basically, he saw right through that whole situation. What he, what he said to her basically, you have issues and you're trying to cover up those issues with serving. 
Do you know there are people that are that way? There are. Basically, basically what he was telling her is you got issues and you're trying to hide those issues with serving and with sacrifice. Centuries before all this took place, the prophet Samuel said this to Saul. And Saul wound up losing the kingdom. But he said this to Saul. Said And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hear than the fat of rams. Martha was covering up. There were, there were issues. There were things in her heart that basically she was trying to hide from and hide from the Lord, trying to cover it up with activity. And I want to tell you that when you step into discipleship, it's going to be you and God. We're going to get more into that in just a second. Verse 41, And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, you are careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. Like Cindy shared earlier, the one thing the Lord told me, Kenneth, I only want you to do one thing. What's that, Lord? Walk with me. Said one thing. All righty then. Do y'all have Windows 10? You have Cortana? Did you know she'll tell you jokes? She will. Yeah. You say, hey, Cortana, tell me a joke. And she'll tell you a joke. Anyway. She'll talk to you during church. That's right. One question at a time. All right, notice here verse 41. Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, you are careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. And Mary has chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. Now, notice this. Here's Martha. She is working like crazy, serving the Lord. Martha is sitting down at Jesus' feet. Mary, I'm sorry. Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet doing what? Listening to the Word. Who was the disciple? You see my point? Who was the disciple? And Jesus brought that out. What is discipleship? Discipleship is listening to God and doing what God says do when He says do it. And the Lord's bringing this up. Brother Hagin used to say this to us all the time. He said, if, he said, go as much by what God doesn't say as what He does say. If you're not hearing anything, just keep doing what you're doing. I said, yeah, but I might be missing God. That's His problem, not yours. Now, if you're in rebellion and you're out of line and you know it, then it's your problem. But if you're doing all you can do, trying to listen to God, doing the best that you possibly can, unless you hear from heaven differently, you keep going the way that you're going because then God becomes responsible to get it across to you where you are, where you can hear it and make the changes. Okay? 
So you leave that as God's responsibility. All right, go with me now to Matthew 16. This is really what we've been dealing with. We've been talking about the discipleship of Peter. And I don't have time to go into as much detail as I have over the past two weeks. Uh, so I encourage you, if you, I'm going to skip over a couple of things. So if you want to know what we said about it, go back and get the CDs over the past two weeks. Okay? All right. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. <clears throat> says, When Jesus came on into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, or son of Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, as we've already talked about, Peter makes this confession of faith, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus says, Flesh and blood didn't reveal this unto you. In other words, you didn't get this through your five physical senses. You got this by revelation from the Father. And as I've shared with you, there's actually kind of a play on words here because the word Simon means to hear. So basically what Jesus was telling him was, Blessed art thou, Simon, hearing one, you have heard from my Father. Blessed art thou, hearing one, you have heard from my Father. And of course he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Verse 18, And I say also unto thee. In other words, Alright Peter, you've received a revelation you heard my Father. You heard the voice of my Father. You got it right. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You heard from my Father. Now listen to me. I say also unto thee. Thou art Peter. Thou art Peter. Now, in declaring that, Jesus was saying, I'm going to add to the revelation that you've got. Thou art Peter. And what you have here actually is a very important exchange. Peter stood up by revelation and said, Thou art the Christ! Jesus turned to him and said, Yeah, I say, and you're Peter. Thou art Peter. As I've said to you already in this series, when you find out who Jesus is, then you'll begin to find out who you are. I say also unto thee that thou art Peter. 
Now, as I've shared with you, the word Peter there is the Greek word Petros, P-E-T-R-O-S. And that word, that Greek word, means a small, solid, individual rock. And basically what Jesus was saying to him was, I say unto you that you are Peter. In other words, Simon Barjona, you are solid, you are stable, you are secure. Now the thing that makes that interesting is the fact that when you study, particularly the Gospels, and you look at Peter, in the New Testament, Peter is the absolute definitive example of instability. (laughs) He is emotion ruled. He's constantly losing his temper. He's constantly uh, shooting his mouth off when he shouldn't. He's messing things up by the numbers. He's unstable. He's shaky. He's flaky. All of those things. And Jesus turned to him and said, No, you're Peter. You're solid, you're stable, you're secure. You see, you couldn't tell Jesus who Jesus was by looking at him. Peter got that by revelation. But you couldn't tell who heaven said Peter was by looking at him either. (laughs) Simon was unstable, insecure. And the Lord spoke this to me yesterday when we were going to Kerrville. I was meditating on these scriptures. And I haven't, I haven't developed this yet. But I learned something about Peter. Because I was thinking about him being emotion ruled. I mean, he was either... He's the type of guy that he's either a happy, you know, full tilt boogie or he's teed off at everybody full tilt boogie. There was no in between with him. But the Lord spoke this into my spirit. And when you look at the life of Peter, you see it. The Lord told me, He said, the reason the man was emotion ruled was because he controlled by his emotions. He controlled everybody around him by his emotions. When he lost his temper, everybody jumped. Now, you combine that with James and John that constantly lost their temper to the point that Jesus referred to them as the sons of thunder. You got a fun group. See, but Peter was constantly unstable, emotion ruled. But Jesus said, I say unto you that you are Peter. In other words, this is who you are in the natural, but this is who heaven says you are. You are Peter. Now, verse 19 Jesus said, I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. In other words, what Jesus was saying to Simon was this. Simon, son of Jonas, you are Peter. And he was giving Simon the option. In other words, Simon, this is who heaven says you are. Now you have the option. You can either bind yourself to that and become that, or you can loose yourself from that and stay Simon for the rest of your life. You have that choice. 
And as I've shared with you, nobody can force you to be a disciple. That is a self-imposed decision. You have to choose. I'm going to be who heaven says I am, or I'm going to stay the same old lug I've always been. You have that choice. And so you can, he said, you can bind yourself to that identity or you can loose yourself from it. Now, here's where we're going to begin to branch off. <clears throat> Every one of us can be defined by those two identities. Every single one of us in some way is Simon Peter. Because every single one of us have an identity, who we are in the natural, with all of our flaws and mistakes and failures and shortcomings, like we say, warts and all. That's Simon. But I want to tell you, there is another identity. Who you are with all your screw-ups and your mistakes and your failures and your shortcomings and your fleshing out and your emotions and all of that kind of stuff. That is not who heaven says you are. The Lord has an identity for you that is far beyond that and the exact opposite of who you are as a total screw-up. So every single one of us can identify with being Simon Peter. And we have the same choice. We can either stay who we are, or we can make the decision, I will become who God says I am. That's discipleship. And you do it by what? Listening to what God says and doing what God says when God says do it. That's where the change comes. But now notice. Let's read on here. Verse 20, Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Now I don't have time to get into that. But just very simply, he was not saying, don't tell anybody who I am. That's not what he was saying. He, he was restricting them from preaching that he was the Christ publicly. Okay? He preached it because his father told him to, but they were not allowed to preach that publicly yet. The reason being, there was too much heat behind that message for them to handle. That was part of the whole basis of the persecution. And they weren't ready to handle the weight of that kind of message. Okay? Now, notice here verse 21. From that time forth, we got a shift. From that time forth, began Jesus to show unto him, show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. This is where he first begins to talk about it. But now watch Peter's response, verse 22. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord. 
This shall not happen unto thee. Now, if you're making notes, take note of that phrase where Peter said, Be it far from thee. You ready? The literal Greek text says, Peter began to rebuke him and said, Pity yourself. Pity yourself. Have pity on yourself, Lord. Look at Jesus' response. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Pity thyself. This shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Isn't that interesting? Get thee behind me, Satan, you are an offense unto me, for you savorest not the things that be of God, but those things that be of men. Did you notice that right at that point, Jesus connected self-pity to the devil himself? Isn't that interesting? You know why? Self-pity is the satanic counterfeit of compassion. We can be be real compassionate with ourselves. You know what? (laughs) Self-pity is the satanic counterfeit of compassion. Self-pity and discipleship will never, 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 never mix. You will never become who God wants you to be as long as you are walking around in self-pity. You'll never get there. Thank you for that cheery response. You'll never get there. Self-pity is a disaster. Years ago, I heard, I've heard this, this was years ago, uh, Kenneth Copeland and Gloria got into a fight. Not a fist fight, but verbal. And... Of course, they're mouthing off at one Well, actually, like he said, she doesn't fight. He was fighting. <laughs> and he mouthed off a few things and stomped off in the other room. He said, she don't care nothing about me. Master, don't you care? She don't care nothing about me. That's self-pity. That, are, that, is, that is one of the flags of self-pity. Nobody cares about me. And he was saying, she don't care anything about me. And the Lord spoke up on the inside of him and said, that's none of your business. The Lord said, whether she cares anything about you or not, it's none of your business. Your business is to care for her. Now do your job. Let me tell you something. Self-pity and discipleship will never, ever mix. And the Lord went on to tell him, and he said, For your information, she's one of my daughters, and you need to start treating her a little different. (laughs) Yes, sir. (laughs) Oh, I've learned a lot from that. (laughs) Because I'm married to one of his daughters, too. (laughs) Hey! He, he said, he said, when the Lord said that, he said, she's one of my daughters, you need to start treating her better. He said, well, I'm one of your sons. <laughs> oh, Lord. Oh, Lord, have mercy. What I want you to see here, notice, 
Peter, Jesus is trying to tell him, this is what's going to happen to me. Peter interrupted. Verse 22 again, Then Peter took, took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, for you are an offense unto me, for you savorest not the things that be of God, but those things that be of men. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, now watch this, because this is going to come up again later. You savor the things that be of men rather than the things that be of God. Then he turned to his disciples. He just left Peter with that. Then he turned to his disciples. At that point, Peter was not one of the disciples. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels. And then he shall reward every man according to his works. Verily I say unto you, there, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. The thing I want you to get here. Jesus was not just telling them what was about to happen to him. He actually, at that point, started trying to teach about discipleship. What he, what he intended to do was, listen, I'm going to be turned over to the chief priest. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to go to the cross. I'll rise again the third day. And if anybody's going to be my disciple, he has to take up his cross and so forth. He's trying to teach them about discipleship, but the thing was interrupted by Peter. It was an interruption. He was too busy talking when he should have been listening. Now, <clears throat> what was Peter's problem here? What happened? He did not listen. Jesus was trying to warn him about the cost of discipleship. But he did not listen. Now what is the cross? A lot of different ideas about what the cross is. Take up your cross and follow me. Our Derek Prince say this years ago. I really do like it. He said the cross is where your will and God's will cross. I like that. The cross is where your will and God's will cross. You have a choice to make. And wisdom crieth at the crossroads. And so Jesus is trying to tell Peter and all of the rest of them about discipleship. But Peter, what did not listen? Back up. Simon did not listen. Simon did not listen. All right, let's fast forward. Go with me to Luke chapter 22. How much time have I got? Huh? Glory, I got plenty of time. <clears throat> Luke chapter 22 and verse 23. Jesus has just explained that he's going to be betrayed. 
And look at the disciples' response. Verse 23 says, And they began to inquire among themselves which of them it was that should do this thing. And there was also a strife among them which of them should be accounted the greatest. Now look how that thing evolved. Jesus said, I'm going to be betrayed by one of you. Well, who is it? Who is it? Who is it? Well, I know it's not me. Well, I know it's not me. Well, I love the Lord more than you do. Well, I love the Lord more than you do. Well, I'm greater than you are. Well, I'm greater than you are. You see how that thing evolved? Jesus is about to go to the cross. And right before he's going to the cross, the disciples get in a fuss over who's the best. Can you imagine the frustration? Oh, dear God. Three years with these guys, and this is what... (laughs) All right. He has to straighten that out. Verse 25. And he said unto them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they, they that exercise that authority upon them are called benefactors, but you shall not be so. For he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief, as he that doth serve. For whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat, or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat, but I am among you as he that serveth. You, ye are they which have continued with me in my temptation, and I appoint you a kingdom as my Father has appointed me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on my thrones, sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel." And the Lord said, Simon, what did he call him? Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you. It's sweet. Do you know what he tried to catch him with? Self-pity. All right. Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. And when you are converted, strengthen your brethren. Now, there's a couple of things here. Number one, I don't know about you, but it's a relief to me to know that me being a screw-up is not a surprise to the Lord. Doesn't that bless you? He's not surprised when we fail, when we miss it, when we blow it. He doesn't fall off the throne. He knew it before we did. But notice, he said here, I have prayed for you when you, that your faith fail not, and when you are converted, let me, that, that term can be used a lot of different ways, but I think the, what, what Jesus was referring to here is, Simon, when you become Peter, when you become the man I've ordained you to be, strengthen your brethren. Verse 33. And he said unto him, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee, both unto prison and unto death. Now when Simon said that, do you think he was sincere? I think he was. I think he meant that with all of his heart. He meant that with every fiber of his being. Here's the problem. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? 
He meant what he said, but he didn't know what was in his heart. And a lot of times you won't know what's in your heart till you get under pressure. Did you know that? Because what's in you, baby, will come out under pressure. And you'll get the opportunity to deal with it. And Jesus is doing what? He's trying to give Peter a warning. I prayed for you that your faith fail not. He said unto him, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee both unto prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, oh, Jesus is releasing his faith. Peter, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before you have you before that thou shalt thrice deny, deny that thou knowest me. And he said unto them. Now, it's interesting Jesus told Peter, just like he did there earlier, he told Peter, he said, you're going to deny me three times, and then just left him with it. Then he starts talking to the rest of them. I want to tell you, Jesus, that way, he'll tell you how the cow ate the cabbage, and then just leave you with it. And you've got some choices to make. This is discipleship. But, what was Simon's problem? Look at verse 34. He said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. What was Peter's problem? What was Simon's problem? He did not listen. That's the second warning. He did not listen. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to die, Lord. I'm, I'm ready to go to prison and to death for you. So when it all went down and Jesus is taken captive and he's taken to the high priest's house, watch big brave Peter. Luke twenty two fifty four. Then they Then took they him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house and Peter followed afar off. Now we're seeing what's in his heart. And you know what happened. He denied him, didn't he? Go down here to verse 60. He denied him three times. Verse 60, we'll, we'll get in here on the last denial. It says, And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crew. And, oh, look at this. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. Can you imagine that? Coming under that gaze. I don't think it was a look of anger. I don't think it was a look of hatred. I think it was a look of love. And of. I tried to tell you. You didn't listen. And Peter. Went out. And wept. Bitterly. Let me tell you something. If you're going to become Peter, you're going to become who God wants you to be. Listen to me carefully. If you're going to become who God wants you to be, at some point, you will gonna, you're going to have to face that Simon identity head on. Are you listening? You'll have to face him head on. The reason he went out and wept bitterly is not just because they, they, he denied the Lord. For the first time ever, he saw himself for who he was in the flesh.
and it was not pretty. Now let me tell you something. You got one of two options. You can face Simon, you can face who you are in the flesh by hearing and obeying. If Simon would have listened, so much of this would have been avoided. You can face Simon by hearing and obeying, but if you don't, you'll have to face Simon by failure. And just pray that it's not as public as what happened here. Oh, I love you with the love of the Lord. It's a cheery word, huh? But I'm telling you the truth. You can face it by hearing and obeying, or you can face it by failure. Simon didn't listen, and he failed. And he went out and he wept bitterly. But you know what he did? I think he started dealing with his own heart. That's part of being a disciple. He started dealing with his own heart issues. Let's go to John 21 and we're done. John 21, verse 15. The Lord's been risen from the dead. Simon has dealt with some serious issues. Verse 15 <clears throat> says, So when they had died, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, what did he call him? Simon. Lovest thou these more than these? Now, there's a clue. First of all, the word love there is the Greek word agapeo. Agapeo, get agape. You have to understand something about that word agape. The word agape was in the Greek language years, centuries before this took place. But when you go back and you look at that word by Greek commentators, they really didn't know how to define it. Nobody defined what agape was until Jesus. Because nobody walked in the kind of self-sacrificing love that that described until Jesus. And Jesus used that, uses that word. He said, Peter... Do you, Agapeo, love us now with total sellout commitment? Do you love me with that kind of love? Listen, more than these? He's talking about the other disciples. Guess who started the fuss over who was the greatest? There's a little jab there. You still as sharp as you think you are? You still all that? You still a hot rod? You still love me more than all the rest of these guys put together? Jesus responded and said, He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, you know that I love thee. And the Greek word used here is different. It's the Greek word phileo. And it means to have a strong affection, a brotherly love 
comradeship for. Peter responded that way because he had humbled himself and realized, I'm not at that point of agape. I thought I was. I thought I was willing to go to prison and die, but I realized I just wasn't all that. And he honestly answered the Lord and said, You know I have a strong affection for you, Lord. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Verse 7 to him, or excuse me, verse 16. He saith, no, he said, forgive me. He said, feed my lambs, verse 15. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou agape? Lovest thou me? He saith unto him, yea, Lord, you know that I love thee. Now this time he doesn't say more than these. He took the barb out of it. He said, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me, Agapel? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, you know that I phileo you. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. There's a promotion in that. First time he said, Feed my lambs. Next time he said, Feed my sheep. The last time, he saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Now this time, Jesus changed the word and used the word phileo. Peter, do you really have strong affection for me? He's coming down to Peter's level. Do you really have strong affection for me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo thee. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. Wrong. Literal Greek, shepherd my flock. So what you have here is a threefold promotion. Feed my lambs, feed my sheep, shepherd my flock. But here's what's good about this. Peter, each time said, Lord, you know that I phileo you. He honestly was that way. He was expressing what was in his heart because he had dealt with heart issues. He was being honest with the Lord. He was being sincere and he was right. He did love the Lord to that level. And each time he responded, he was promoted. My point is, that Peter was being promoted in discipleship and he was being promoted in ministry because he had come to the place where he was honest with the Lord and honest with himself. That's discipleship. Promotion, promotion doesn't mean you have everything perfect and you got your act together and you're just all that. Promotion says... I don't have it all together. I know I don't have it all together. And I'm open and honest with God and with myself and with everybody else. No pretense. No bull. This is who I am. And we're all just learning to walk with God together. And you know what? God can use a person like that. God can use a person like that. And it's what will bring promotion. Now, I want to 
receive communion uh, at the instruction of the Lord while we're on this series. I, I'm impressed with the Lord to receive communion each time we talk about discipleship. So I want to do this again. Carl, come on, brother. Pass these out for me. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Lord Jesus.